Lights out and welcome back to the Finishing First Podcast. I am your host, Frank Skrajewski at the F609, bringing you another edition of the Finishing First Podcast. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Michael O'Byrne from Louisville, Kentucky. Mike, how are you this weekend? Doing well, Frank. Uh, had a nice weekend spent out at the uh, Barbasol Championship in Nicholasville, Kentucky, just outside of Lexington, following around the Amigos pick of Adam Svensson, a.k.a. Svenny, a.k.a. at Svenny Baby on all social media platforms. Uh, worked as hard as I could. Couldn't get him a win. Uh, did ruin Kevin Strillman's day, which was great. He got uh, he got jobbed on an absolute bomb by Trey Mullinax on 18 to win the tournament. So I was happy about that. But a good weekend spent watching some golf. How are you? Not too bad. On day seven of my wife working seven days straight caring for our son so another day in paradise happy to do this with you a provider well i provide in different ways you provide in all the you you provide in great ways frank all right mike enough nonsense let's get right into what was a very eventful weekend in austria we had the austrian grand prix and sprint race so that will add a uh, another element to our recap this week we'll get right start with qualifying i will read down the qualifying results the qualifying results were the grid for the sprint race um the sprint race sets the grid for the actual grand prix so qualifying finished with Max Verstappen taking pole, Charles Leclerc in second, Carlos Sainz to round out the top three, George Russell, Espan Akon, Kevin Magnussen, Mick Schumacher, Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, and Pierre Gasly in 10th. Mike, I'll start right there with Gasly. Gasly joining the top 10, even though not participating in Q3. That was because Sergio Perez was allowed to uh, race in Q3, even though he was hit with a track deleted lap and all of his laps for Q2 were deleted. So he was not able to actually participate in Q3. Why the stewards actually left him and announced that as he was going onto the track for Q3 is a whole different story. About six hours later, they eventually moved him to 13th on the starting grid and bumped up Pierre Gasly to 10th. Um, it seemed to be an interesting weekend right from the start with qualifying uh, the Stewarts and the FIA were quite on the drivers and uh, were paying attention a lot to uh, what is track limits. Uh, if you saw any of the race, if they happen to be a little bit off of the white line, um, it's a it's a whole discussion and something I still truly don't understand. It seems to be what is known as a judgment call. Uh, luckily, it seemed to be consistent throughout the weekend what they were calling on track limits and who they were calling it on because everybody basically got hit with it yeah i mean it, it became very clear very early that the stewards or the fia was going to be very strict on track limits as far as the sergio perez situation in in the words of our good friend uh brett garrison uh whoa they they just they fucked up um they sergio should not have been allowed out for q3 and i think if you ask the fia now, uh, off the record, they would say, yeah, I mean, we should have gotten that and he shouldn't have been allowed out for Q3. Just one clarification. He was uh, granted one of his times for Q2. That's why he ended up starting P13 in uh, the sprint. That was his last good lap in qualifying in, in Q2. So that's why he was granted P13. Uh, unfortunate situation for Pierre Gasly not being able to move up any farther in Q3 once they got out there, but it is what it is. 
So the other big two notes um, were the Mercedes in qualifying. Lewis Hamilton crashes um, with about five minutes left in Q3 qualifying. Absolutely um, what seemed to be totaling the car, causing a red flag. That caused a quite a bit of delay for them to remove the car and clear the track of any debris. Immediately following a green flag to resume racing, George Russell does the exact same thing and crashes and puts the other Mercedes right into the wall. Both Mercedes out of qualifying. Luckily, George Russell was able to put down a lap that allowed him to secure P4 in qualifying. Lewis Hamilton in ninth, not being able to really get any uh, good times in on qualifying before the crash. It doesn't really matter, as we'll get to um, with the sprint race. This is why the sprint is here, is to correct qualifying errors. It is a race to highlight the fastest cars on track and not allow for so much craziness. I know we've kind of talked about this in the past, about how I actually like the craziness. I'd rather see Esteban Ocon qualify third in a qualifying session and start the race there, as opposed to him qualifying fifth and then moving down in the sprint when the Mercedes or the Ferrari or the Red Bull, whoever, in this case, it was Sergio Perez um, and Lewis Hamilton really moving up. Uh, Actually, Lewis Hamilton didn't move too up, but mostly Sergio Perez moving through in the sprint race. So let me get right into the sprint. As I just told you, your uh, qualifying grid, I will also run down the sprint finishing standings. Max Verstappen takes the win on the sprint race. Charles Leclerc in second. Carlos Sainz in third. George Russell in fourth. That basically stayed the same from qualifying in that order. Sergio Perez is able to move all the way up from 13th into 5th. Esteban Akon in 6th. Kevin Magnussen in 7th. And Lewis Hamilton in 8th. Uh, Lewis Hamilton right above Mick Schumacher. They had quite a battle there for uh, eighth in the final point receiving spot. Not a lot to unpack here in the sprint as well. Um, I thought it was a good race. It seemed that they were kind of stuck on, uh, well, basically Mick Schumacher and Lewis Hamilton battling for 90% of the race. Uh, Max got a great start and got right off and um, did a little battling with the two Ferraris there to um, secure the first place position and take the lead in the race then next thing you knew the two Ferraris were battling each other and then it seemed it right went it went right into um Lewis and Mick Schumacher battling out for eighth place Mike uh what were your takeaways from the sprint weekend uh I I thought the sprint was great um it, it one of the rare weekends where we got dry weather for the entirety of the weekend I feel like we haven't had that in a long time I feel like a lot of what happened in the sprint of note actually happened before the sprint even started. The Alpine pit crew fucked up uh, Alonzo's setup, I guess. They they say they had an electrical issue. They were unable to get the blankets off of his car within the 15 seconds of the uh, start that's required. So they had to bring his car back into the pits and he started in the pit lane. Pretty disappointing for the Alpines as uh, Alonso really seemed to have pace this weekend. It would have been really nice to see what he could have done on a good qualifying session as well as uh, Akon being up there. So it was a tough DNF um, on a sprint race for Fernando Alonso. So yes, he does end up DNFing. He actually does not end up going out for the sprint. Originally, they thought he was going to start in the pit lane, but they did retire the car prior to them starting. Then once they take care of that issue and they go on their formation lap, uh, Zhou Guan Yu's engine shuts off as they're coming around the last turn and they need to abandon the start because he's unable to get to his starting position. He does start from the pit lane, 
they come back around and then they start the race and we continue where kind of you left off there, Frank, with Max getting off to a, a great start and kind of the, the win of the race was taken there. The Ferraris actually did battle back a little bit in the, the second half of that sprint and they showed the pace that they would ultimately show in the race as well. I was listening to some stuff after kind of the whole race weekend settled out and it seemed like the resounding thought was that because of how much fuel you start in your car for a sprint versus a race, it really amplified the Red Bull's straight line speed in the sprint, whereas it hindered them in the race uh, because of the amount of tire degradation that they got. But we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into the race. So yeah, I will never say a sprint weekend doesn't provide action. Um, It gives us 23, 24 extra laps of racing on a weekend that you would not see. It's always great to see uh, battles, even watching Max and Mick battle, or Lewis and Mick battle was absolutely phenomenal. It was great racing and it kind of shows you more of maybe some of that stuff you wouldn't see on a regular race weekend because they're so focused on the front and the battle up top. And there wasn't really that there. Uh, Max seemed to pull away pretty easily. And even though the gaps changed between uh, Max and Charles, there never really seemed to be any contention for the top spot and for Max to not win that race. Yes, the Ferraris did have pace and they did exactly what they needed to do to come in second and third there and provide a good starting grid for Sunday. But other than that, it was a pretty quiet sprint race. Um, It was exactly what a lot of pool mates were looking for, as I think. 15 people were on Max for the sprint race. Uh, Everybody seemed to be on Charles for the first sprint. Everybody was on Max for this one, and uh, it proved to be, um, it proved to pay out. Michael, any final thoughts on the sprint race in Austria? Uh, Final thoughts. There there was maybe just one thing that we didn't cover, which was Sebastian Vettel kind of getting knocked into the gravel by Alex Albon, who was ultimately given a penalty. Just a lot of bad luck recently for Seb, and that continued into the race as well. But no, I I think the sprint's great. I think it adds another layer to the weekend. I think this was a much more appropriate track to do a sprint at rather than the first one we got around at Imola. I think it really added to the race weekend. And um, it was a it was another exciting thing to watch as opposed to a free practice two or a free practice three. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Um, We will have more sprint races as it's been announced and confirmed that there will be six next year as opposed to the three that it was this year. So um, you'll definitely start to see a lot more of these pop up on the calendar in different places. They'll provide different scenarios and different tracks for um, this to work at. So I think it's a good thing overall. It's just something that um, adds a lot to a race weekend. We'll move right on to our race recap of the Austrian Grand Prix. I will read down the finishing results for the Austrian Grand Prix. Charles Leclerc takes the win. Max Verstappen comes in second, followed by Lewis Hamilton with a second consecutive third place finish. George Russell in fourth, back to his top five ways. Esteban Ocon of the Alpines for a great fifth place result. Mick Schumacher in sixth, uh, coming off his first points to be in sixth. P6 is absolutely phenomenal for the Haas. Lando Norris in seventh. Kevin Magnussen in eighth. Double points for the Haas. America's team. Ninth for Daniel Ricardo and 10th for Fernando Alonso. Mike, uh, we won't even get too much into the actual results of the race first because so much happened in the race. So let's go right into the start. Max gets away clean and it seems like it's going to be a mirror image of the sprint race as uh, the Red Bull seems to have the exact same pace as it did the day before. 
after Max pulls away clean, it seemed to be a lot of action on lap one. George Russell and Carlos Sainz battle with George Russell pushing Sainz off track. He quickly does the exact same thing to Checo on turn four. Perez is pushed off and required to pit. George Russell receives a five-second penalty that has to be served in the pit lane. Carlos Sainz seems to get away and it gets some clear air to take third place and you're running Red Bull Ferrari Ferrari at the beginning of this race. Right around the lap 8 and 12, Charles continues to make gains on Max. Max's uh, pull away doesn't seem to be as good as it was in the sprint race and eventually he is caught by Charles Leclerc on lap 12 with a very nice inside move. Uh, one of It seemed... Um, almost too easy. You didn't see it come in. It was in a weird spot and he just ends up going right past Max with um, some good grip on the inside. Right in response to that, Max pits onto hard tires. Mike, we're going to stop there and talk about this because it seemed right from the get-go, Red Bull understood that they didn't have the pace to battle with the two Ferraris. Uh, With Charles being able to make up that much time difference on Max after Max pulled away in the lead. So they make the strategy called a pit early. Red Bull, in their defense, is always very quick to make a move. And sometimes in Formula 1, that is essential, as we saw with um, Charles Leclerc in Monaco and Charles Leclerc in Britain and Charles Leclerc. And anytime Ferrari actually ever has to do any strategy, they seem to not make a decision quickly and mess up. This one actually doesn't pay off for the Red Bulls, as uh, the Red Bulls kind of jump the gun and put on hard tires that they were never going to last on for the next 60 some laps. Yeah, no, I mean, so to be fair to the Red Bulls, it wasn't really mechanical issues that they were having. It really all came down to tire degradation. And it was very clear after Charles passed Max the first time. And I'll highlight that the first time, because he passed him quite a few times in this race um, that the Red Bulls just weren't going to have the speed where I should say the Red Bull, because by that time, Sergio Perez had already been in the pit and was already a lap behind some really bad luck for him uh, getting involved in that, that scrap with George Russell, who got assessed that five second penalty. And is that really enough for what happened to Sergio in that race? Who knows, but it was consistent with some of the wheel rubbing that we'd seen in the past and some other penalties that were given. Uh, But yeah, I, I think Red Bull's hand was forced here. They had to pit. Uh, It was very clear that they weren't going to keep up that pace. And the only way to gain something back was to get on fresher tires. Ultimately, in the long run, it seemed like almost every team went on a two-stop strategy with the exception of a few. Did it really matter in the long run as far as moving to that two-stop strategy? Probably not. But the teams that were able to execute one-stop strategies were at a severe advantage when it came down to it. It was obviously the wrong move in the situation. Once again, would it have mattered if Max stayed out there on the medium tires he was on? He was going to get caught by Carlos Sainz eventually. And then you're just waiting for the Ferraris to pit to then pit in response. And without the backup of Perez there, um, he can't really respond on a pit strategy. So they played it safe and went in for the pit and gave something a shot. And ultimately, as we'll get into, it doesn't really work out. Lap 15, Lewis Hamilton is able to past both Haas's um, in the same lap. Lewis really seemed to battle with the Haas's all day in the beginning of the race, and Mick and K-Mag put up a fight. They did it in the sprint as well, and they really put up a fight here to try to hold the Lewis off, but there was only so much they could do as the Mercedes did have great pace over the weekend. On lap 24, um, this isn't something I would normally mention, but 
we are continually seeing why everyone is excited about these new F1 cars. A battle between Fernando Alonso and Joe Guan Yu for 11th place at the time, maybe even uh, lower due to um, some people not pitting, turns into Kevin Magnuson, Fernando Alonso, Joe Guan Yu, Lando Norris, and Mick Schumacher all going into the same turn, basically wheel to wheel. It was an absolute mayhem of a battle, and it just shows that with the abilities in these cars to be able to follow better, to be able to um, maintain speed and actually challenge other drivers, once that happens for two drivers, the two drivers behind them are able to catch up. And then once they get into the mix, the fifth driver is able to catch up. And now all of a sudden you have five drivers going into three or four different turns, very close, all punched up. And that's not something you normally see in F1. You normally see that in the first lap of the race, going into turn one, maybe going into turn two, where you really see a bunch up. But to see five drivers going wheel-to-wheel, hard racing, trying to pass each other, it was absolutely awesome to watch. And I was really happy with F1's coverage this weekend because um, he did see a lot of that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. One one of the notes that I have is I don't know that I'd seen as many overtakes in any F1 race that we did in this race. There was so much action. My entire like notes log is all blank passes blank and blank takes a five second penalty for exceeding track limits. There was <laughs> so much of both of those things going on in this race. And I think the Red Bull ring is a test tube case for the new F1, uh, mo- F1 model cars from just the three DRS zone, straight line speed, fast corners. Like it's just a track where you're going to get a lot of that anyway. And the new cars just amplify it times a thousand. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So let's get into where uh, everything starts to get a little interesting here. Um, Lap 25, uh, Checo is DNF'd. He's sold to pull the car in after running in 20th for about 24 laps after the uh, turn four collision on lap one. Um, He just didn't have the pace. The car was too severely damaged. So um, they're just trying to save some miles on the uh, engine inside. This is when Charles Leclerc pits as well, 10 laps, maybe 12 laps after Max Verstappen. Uh, Carlos Sainz immediately coming in after him on the next lap. The Ferraris are able to go 10 laps longer and still lead Max. And it seemed like their tire degradation was no problem. They were able to maintain pace and really go after it. That being said, it doesn't always work. After the two Ferraris pits, Max is back in the lead. That only lasts for about eight laps as Max is eventually caught again by Charles Leclerc. The only thing I will also cover on this lap is the Fernando Alonso finger wag to, I think it was Yuki Sonoda, maybe. Have we confirmed which finger it was? I, I, saw, I, th- I saw. I saw. I saw like a. I saw like a wag of the finger, like a not not today, son. Especially from 40-year-old Fernando Alonso to 20-year-old Yuki Tsunoda. It was kind of awesome to see as he's doing it with one hand going 200 miles an hour down straight. So I saw the finger wag live. But then after on Twitter, I think I saw a picture of the finger wag. And he was waving or wagging a very specific finger at Yuki Tsunoda. So I think he was admonishing him by giving by giving him the Dikembe Mutombo, but also doing it with his middle finger, which just adds a whole level of uh, disrespect to it. I absolutely loved it. It was great. Fernando has been very vocal about kind of the penalties he's been receiving and the squirrely actions of a lot of drivers on the track recently. He's been very angry. 
And I think that was just kind of like a boiling point for him of Yuki trying to squeeze him out, him going onto the grass and then still getting past him. And he, he couldn't resist himself. Fernando Alonso looks like he's having a ball out there. It's always something. It's always fun. He has pace. The car's good. They can perform in races. And it's just every weekend I see to be mentioning Fernando Alonso and something crazy that he did. And that's just awesome to see him out there doing that to uh, these young kids. Yeah, no, absolutely. It it was honestly like a really good weekend for both of the Alpines. Uh, I So Tom, uh, Tom Riccardi and Sean Hutton deemed this weekend Haas weekend, and they certainly lived up to that to a certain extent. But I would argue, I mean, if that doesn't happen with Fernando Alonso in the sprint race, we're probably talking about this as Alpine weekend with a much better finish from Fernando Alonso than he was able to get from where he started. They couldn't be in a better position moving into uh, their home Grand Prix in France, and I believe they might have uh, just overtaken McLaren for fourth in the constructors. So, uh, yeah, the team out of France, uh, the old Renault team, is uh, really performing this year. Right after Max gets passes, they respond by pitting him again. This uh, seems to be the two-stop strategy of the Red Bulls versus the one-stop strategy of the Ferrari that is not true. Lap 50, both Ferraris pit again. Um, by lap 53, Charles Leclerc is easily able to pass Max Verstappen for the third and final time to take the lead of the race. Four laps later, Carlos Sainz is closing on Max Verstappen quickly for second place, and you're looking like a guaranteed Ferrari 1-2, and then his car catches on fire. Um, we just had a weekend in Britain where a severe cat crash took place and we were super concerned for the safety of the driver and while this did not look severe at a moment's notice it turned extremely concerning quickly um he pulled over the side of the road it seemed to be up a hill on the service road there and then you started to see fire and once you saw fire it spread quickly Carlos Sainz was not able to get out of the car immediately because he could not get the car in park and the car was then reversing backwards slowly on fire. Uh, luckily, a steward was there to throw a block under and he was able to just get out um, as uh, the fire grew and uh, the stewards were able to put the fire out. Just a devastating loss there for Carlos Sainz. Um, what looked to be a Ferrari 1-2 turned into a Ferrari 1 and a DNF. Yeah, obviously super concerning situation once you started seeing those flames spread as fast as they did. Upon the replay, you could see that uh, Carlos's engine fails, but then you also see a spark in his side pods just explode. It was a really scary situation. Shout out to that steward for getting that ch uh, chalk block underneath that tire. It was, it was, it was scary. It was not a, uh, it was an unsettling situation to to watch live but he he ends up getting out of the car and he's safe which is the most important thing um yeah i mean not to make light of a, a serious situation but return of the the buzzword of this podcast so far the buzz phrase of ferrari power unit again yeah no absolutely um reliability continues to be a concern for the ferraris it seems to uh have flipped on its head when the red bulls seem to have a lot of reliability issues in the beginning of the year and the Ferraris were performing, and now it's kind of going back to uh, the Ferrari garage and having, this is, I think, his third non-driver error DNF of the season, and that mm. just can't happen for somebody in a title fight. Um, definitely not a team in a constructor's battle. So after um, the Carlos Sainz car on fire, a virtual safety car is deployed, all the leaders pit, 
and now we have about 10 to 15 laps of racing. It didn't really matter too much as there wasn't much racing to be done. Charles Leclerc easily pulls away from Max Verstappen. Max just cannot make any gains there. One uh, issue, though, of another Ferrari, Charles Leclerc has a gas pedal issue. It seemed that the pedal was sticking to the fore and not bouncing back when he released it. This caused him to uh, have some concerns going into corners and accelerating out of them. So it was a opportunity for Max to maybe make some gains. I think he finishes about a second and a half uh, below Charles Leclerc at the, when it's all sudden and done, but it was about a three to four second gap when this started. So Max was able to make some gains towards the end of the laps, but there just wasn't enough laps left for Max to overtake and actually capitalize on another scary Ferrari um, reliability concern. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, if you think about what that means in like real life for real people, imagine if you were driving down the road and whenever you tried to throw on the brakes, you also needed to lift your gas pedal with your foot before you hit the brake every single time you were trying to do that maneuver. It just shows how talented uh, Charles is and being able to do that while going 200 miles an hour around a racetrack and holding a four second lead from Max Verstappen in order to win a race. Yeah, I, I don't know how he did that. That was crazy. Ridiculous. And honestly, I was concerned that them saying that over the radio because you've seen drivers get mushroom flagged already this year for unsafe conditions and for them to come over team radio and say hey i can't get the gas pedal from going down uh doesn't seem the safest thing for a car that can go 200 miles an hour but hey um it worked out in the end and uh charles leclerc was able to secure the victory mike um a lot to recap on a race like this probably the most I want to say the most impressive, but you had a lot of teams who scored some must-needed points and had good weekends. Both the Mercedes coming in 3-4 there, George Russell getting back to his top ways, and Lewis Hamilton continually putting on the podium here is great for the Mercedes. Shows that they do have the pace and they can continue to uh, their upward trajectory of trying to battle with the leaders in Red Bull and Ferrari. As you said earlier, the Alpines look phenomenal with Esteban Ocon. Uh, Fernando Alonso makes a final lap pass to get into 10th place and score a point double points for Haas America's team with no upgrades on that car is still going out there I never thought I'd hear Lewis Hamilton say man I can't we can't keep up with our pace but that's what Haas is these days and it's phenomenal to see that they're able to continue to perform in these races a strong showing for the McLarens as well to see Lando and Daniel Ricciardo on the points is huge for the McLarens. They needed it. It was not a weekend for them to gloat about in either qualifying or the sprint, but to see both of them up there as well, uh, separating the pack and not letting those um, lower tier teams take points from them when they need them the most was uh, good to see. Yeah, no, for for sure. There was also a little bit of... Uh... A little bit of drama there at the end with Fernando Alonso passing Valtteri Bottas into P10 because he was being investigated for a potential five-second penalty there as well. So we didn't know whether that was going to hold or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, Lando finishes, I think, where he normally finishes in a lot of these races in P7. So, it, I mean, it was a good weekend for him to climb from where he was in qualifying because I think it was like P15 or something like that. But obviously a really good sign for for Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, also a note on Daniel Ricciardo, I, I don't know if this is official or not, but Zach Brown did say that he's going to be back 
with the team in 2023, which I know is something that people were speculating whether or not Daniel Ricardo was going to be in a McLaren in F1, going to IndyCar, not racing at all. A lot of uh, a lot of jokes at his expense on Twitter, and I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't contributing to that. But good to see him. Uh, good to see him with that result. Uh, yeah, the the Haas obviously with a really good weekend. We find out afterwards uh, via uh, Gunter Steiner that. It could have been even better with, I guess, Kevin Magnuson running at 80% power for most of that race. So kind of interesting to hear that afterwards and kind of think about what might have happened if he wasn't running at 80% power and he was running at full power like it appeared Mick Schumacher was. Mick with a, you couldn't ask for a better follow-up to his first points in F1 than what he did this weekend. It was just a really exciting race weekend. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that... uh it, it, it was going to be hard to follow up uh, the great, the great Britain grand Prix. And it didn't quite reach up to that level just because I don't know how it would have, but it was definitely a great follow-up race weekend. I could not agree more with that. I thought the Austrian grand Prix delivered on exactly what it needed to. It was a quick track, a lot of excitement, a great sprint weekend where you got the most racing you could over a three day stretch um, every day seemed to have a new story coming out of it, whether it was the Mercedes crashings, um, the sprint race, or uh, the Ferraris and the Red Bulls battling in on Sunday. So I just thought it was an overall great weekend. Um, the fans really went out there and uh, showed their support for the Red Bulls. Um, as you heard some reports, maybe not the best kind of support that uh, some Europeans have opinions about during sporting events, um, which has no place in any sporting event or anywhere in this world. But it was overall just a phenomenal weekend um, in Austria. Yeah, no, for for sure. I, I couldn't, like you said, couldn't have asked for much better racing than we got out of this race. All right, Michael, that will conclude our review of the Austrian Grand Prix. We will move right into our pool recap. As always, I will run down the top 10. Michael O'Byrne staying in first place. Corey Cook in second. Charlene Bryce in third. Liam Callahan in fourth. Yours truly in fifth. Daniel Schuck in sixth. Sean Hutton in seventh. Tom Riccardi in eighth. Yorin in ninth and Stephen Harris moving up to 10th. Gino uh, one point behind in 11th here. So the big story of the weekend was Max Verstappen in the pool. 15 selections for Max on the sprint. It seemed for a lot of people to capitalize. Uh, everybody else seemed to have Charles. Everybody else seemed to have Charles as well. So it seemed like uh, it was only about a one point swing. But in the race, we had 10 Max Verstappen selections and six wild cards out of the 10. So uh, only four people took Max Verstappen to win the race. The other four took him as their wild card, me being one of them. Max coming in with 27 points for the second place finish as a wild card. Obviously not what I was hoping for after seeing a dominant sprint weekend. But it seemed that that was most of the movement on the leaderboard this week was from the Max Verstappen wild card. A lot of people jumped up with those 27 points. Mike, who'd you have this weekend and uh, how'd you do? Uh, I had Kevin Magnuson. That is a departure from what I said I was going to do on last week's podcast where I was very, not adamant, but I was confident in that I was going to take Esteban Akon. And I'm going to say that I regret that I didn't take Esteban Akon. 
Not to say that there aren't going to be more opportunities to take him, but I don't know how many more chances I'm going to get to get a P5 out of Esteban. I'm not upset with the P8 that I got out of Kevin Magnuson, but I, I don't know. I saw free practice one. I watched it in its entirety. Esteban Akon looked really slow. K-Mag looked really fast. I felt like I needed to make a split-second decision. Without a free practice two, it was kind of difficult, but I ended up making that decision. I ended up getting points out of K-Mag, which I'm not that disappointed about, but I feel like his ceiling is higher than uh, P8, so a little disappointed that I didn't maximize points there. And then also a little bit of uh, FOMO not having Esteban Akon because I feel like P5 is maximizing his points. Maybe he finishes P4 in a race, but I don't see him getting on a podium this year. Yeah, Mike, I agree. Um, I would have loved to have Akon there. A top five is uh, absolutely phenomenal. Getting points from Kegmag is always nice. Like you said, could you have gotten four more points there like I did the first race of the year when he scored eight? Maybe, but getting points is getting points, especially from a mid-tier driver. You never know when you're going to get a uh, bottom 10 result out of any of those drivers on any given week. So getting points and being in, and maintaining your lead is always something great, uh, especially in such a heavy week when people really could have put up some numbers uh, if Max were to win. I will note we had one contrarian selection this week, and that was uh, Michael Siglinski taking Charles Leclerc. I thought it was a phenomenal pick to go out of your way to take somebody um, and be completely opposite of what everybody else is on, and it really is going to pay big dividends for him as he is able to grab those 25 points there. Mike, let's get into a little talk here about the pool. Um, strategy now has kind of set in its way for people to uh, see where they're going to take their wild cards. Playing the the public or fading the public is also a big strategy that I'm seeing here. When a lot of people know people, uh, a lot of the pool is going to be one way. You start to see some people pivot and make some different moves. It, this week, it would have been probably the move to make uh, with Max not getting that optimal result here. What what are you feeling moving into the second half of the season here? Um, still a lot of racing to go. Um, a lot of big names out there for some people. Uh, I know I have. Uh, Carlos Sainz still available um, and another wild card. So I think there's going to be the opportunity for people to still score more points here before we get into uh, people taking the final wild card and uh, everybody clearing out their top four driver selections. Yeah, no, it's a, a good note exactly halfway through the F1 season at this point. We are through 11 Grand Prix and we have 11 Grand Prix to go. So I think I'm in a good spot right now. I'd be lying if I didn't say that I was a little happy that Max didn't win that race, even though noted Red Bull fan, obviously want to see Max win as many races as he can, but with as many wild cards on Max as there were last weekend, it was kind of nice to see him finish in, in second, still, still leading the constructors and maybe that's something or the uh, driver's championship. And maybe that's something that we talk about in a, a little bit, because I'm going to ask you a question about something you said earlier in the podcast, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Like I've mentioned before, I don't really subscribe to the fading the public strategy. I'm not looking at what anybody else is doing. I'm trying to maximize points based on race-specific driving as well as opportunities that I see that present themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's not that you know everybody is going to be on max, but... It's still kind of it's still kind of obvious that you could have made that. Yeah, but I'm not saying like you're not seeing it on my side where I'm actually seeing picks come in. Um, no. Yeah, but you you kind of know where people are going uh, next weekend. Being in France, you'll see a lot of people on the Alpines, I would assume. So yeah, I I, I think it's uh, definitely a play. You know, I, like I said last weekend, um, 
my cousin took Carlos Sainz, and I thought that was a great pick when I saw everybody going on Lewis, and then same way with Mike just being the opposite of what everybody else was taking just gives you that opportunity to really maximize points because everybody else is going to be on the other side. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it certainly is a differenti- differentiator when it works out, and it's very much a differenti- differentiator the other way around when it doesn't work out. Like I mentioned this before, but we talk about this all the time when we're talking about our season-long golf pool. I no longer subscribe to the theory of worrying about or thinking about what other people might do. To your point, we don't know what anybody's going to do, but you can make some inferences. I am solely looking for opportunities based on race-specific driving, as well as what's going on with people taking penalties. Yes, and on that, I will say that I would be well aware of what Carlos Sainz is doing and how the Ferraris are managing that situation. Um, Obviously, after a DNF and a car on fire, um, you never think that the car is doing well after. So I don't know how many of those parts are able to salvage, but he's already had three mechanical DNFs this year. He has a engine penalty looming if he's going to have to take a new engine. Um, Same thing, Charles Leclerc has already taken an engine penalty, and if anything were to go wrong or they see too much wear on that engine or any of those parts, they might look at taking another penalty just to be able to compete in a race. So it's something to keep an eye on. That Botas news broke right before qualifying, so it is something to be on top of. Um, If you can get me picks and you want to change or you see something, always feel free to try to get me on the horn, and uh, I'll make that selection if we can before qualifying begins. Yeah, one other thing of note, it's not just uh, penalties and people taking new engines or new parts uh, because of, of need, but also pay attention to the teams making upgrades. Very notably, Haas this weekend in France is going to be making their first upgrades of the season. And when I say that, it normally sounds like a positive, but it's not always a positive. Uh, Sometimes when teams make upgrades, you see some wonky shit happen in the next race afterwards. So think about that when you're looking at the news and seeing what teams are doing. Just because teams are making upgrades, it could mean that they have a big uh, boost in performance, but sometimes the, the volatility of their reliability tends to waver a little bit when you're talking about teams making upgrades. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just for a very oversimplification of this, once you take these parts off and put parts on, not every screw goes back the same. And for you to put these new upgrades in and maybe one screw, one hose doesn't get tightened, doesn't get hooked up properly, and now you have water pouring on your engine mid-race just because it pops off, it's just something you'll never know about. So yes, that is a good point to note um, with these upgrades that I think that's the main reason why the Haases haven't brought upgrades because they said they didn't have what they thought was quality and they wanted to make sure that the reliability would um, match when they actually went for these upgrades. So I think that's a very good point. All right, Michael, um, nothing else left to uh, discuss in the pool um, without more picks to be had. But luckily, we do have another race in just a over a little over uh, 10 days time we will be going to the circuit paul ricard in france for the french grand prix i'll run down the scheduling of the french grand prix friday july 22nd free practice one will be at eight o'clock followed by free practice two at 11 o'clock Saturday, July 23rd, free practice three will be at 7 a.m., followed by qualifying, where you will need to have your picks in by 10 a.m., and then Sunday, the race, July 24th, will take place at 9 a.m. Uh, we're going to start to see a lot of these early race times right around these 9, 10 o'clock, and uh, 
I can't think of a better way to spend a Sunday morning um, after a few too many on Saturday night. It's really nice to watch some cars uh, really speed around and go at it. So it will be an exciting race for sure in France. I'll give you a little details here on the French Grand Prix at the circuit. Paul Ricard, 15 turns, two DRS zones. Um, it's very a flea free-flowing track. You do have um, some pretty nice straights here, but you do have a lot of high speed and uh, a couple low speed corners that will make uh, some interesting tactical setups to see where people go because you can make such gains on the long straights, but you do need to have the arrow to be able to maintain speed on these corners. So it will uh, see the different setups. It's a very smooth track. It's It'll be a very tailor-made Formula 1 track. It looks very new. Uh, asphalt's very smooth. Everything is very bright colored. Um, they run a lot of uh, different races here over the calendar year, not just F1. So it's a very well-made track, and it's really made for these cars. So you will see um, a lot of different setups and a lot of interesting uh, strategies going into it. 53 laps. Um, you're looking at about a one-and-a-half-minute time per lap, uh, the Track record was set by Seb Vettel at 1.32.7 in 2019. The 2021 results had Max Verstappen taking the win over Lewis Hamilton, Sergio Perez rounding out the podium there, um, followed by Valtteri Bottas and Lando Norris. Um, it was a pretty good race last year. I don't remember um, anything too crazy happening during that race. Um, everybody finished the race which you uh, rarely see anymore in F1. So it it's a, it seems to be a track tailor-made for these cars. I know these guys are really going to like to go out there and uh, put their foot to the pedal. Yeah, for sure. It's I mean, we've had two great races in a row. I don't see any reason why the next race isn't going to live up to what we saw the past two weeks. Um, a, quick turn, a quick turnaround, just something of note as well. Um, something to think about when you're making your, your choices for next week. Uh, when you're talking about high speed corners, the first thing that you think of are the Ferraris. This is probably set up uh, to be a Ferrari track if I've ever seen one. Uh, we talked last week about the straight line speed at the at the Red Bull ring. But the one thing that we did forget about is there are quite a few high speed corners at the Red Bull ring as well, which probably played into the Ferraris hands. So maybe an opportunity for them to climb back in the constructors and for Charles to get a little bit closer in the driver's championship. So with that being said, Frank, I alluded to it earlier. You notably called it earlier this season. Are you sticking with that? Or do you think there's an opportunity with exactly half the schedule left for Charles to make a push in the driver's championship? I'll stick to my guns on that and say that I still do feel that this is Max Verstappen's championship to lose, barring anything uh, really crazy going on. I think that you're basically going to see the Red Bulls and Ferrari split, splitting races here um down the stretch uh maybe one wins five the other one wins six but i don't see that you're going to get a that big of a gap because even with a win this weekend what did carlos signs or even with a win this weekend what was charles leclerc actually able to accomplish seven more points than max verstappen this needs to happen a lot and the probability of Max DNFing and Charles being able to grab a 25-point swing on any given weekend just doesn't seem to be there for me. That being said, I can absolutely see that happening for Max, um, especially with Ferrari's ongoing reliability issues and their power unit problems. I could see this getting close 
but then just ballooning again because Max is able to keep his car on track and the Ferraris aren't. So um, I'll stick to my guns here and say that this is still over, but um, it's certainly making you sweat a little bit if you're a Red Bull fan. Yeah, it's something kind of uh, consistent with all of sports and some reactionary takes. We tend to call things a little bit early and then you realize like, oh, there's still half or three quarters of a season left and a lot of things change. Uh, but I, I tend to agree with you. This is definitely Max Verstappen's driver championship to lose. He's currently leading uh, Charles Leclerc by 38 points. He has 208 points. Charles Leclerc has 170 points. But just to put it in perspective, if for 11 races the rest of the season, Charles wins every race and Max comes in second in every race, that's 77 points and Charles runs away with the driver's championship. The probability of that happening, very low, uh, but certainly not something that's out of the question when you take into con considerations DNF, some of the reliability issues we saw at the beginning of the season with Red Bull. Anything can happen in the second half of the season. Absolutely, and this was the point last season where Max started to string together wins and um, really make a dent in Lewis's lead for the Drivers' Championship, so it's good to see uh, Charles making a push here to keep this interesting, and uh, hopefully it does make for a lot more uh, interesting races moving forward, and we can get this uh, driver standings a little bit closer to start seeing some fireworks and make these last couple races at the end of the year really matter. Okay, Mike, uh, for the French Grand Prix, you have a selection for a winner. And, you know, where do you think you're looking for the pool here? So as far as a winner, I, I alluded to it earlier. But when you're talking about high speed corners, I think that favors the Ferraris. So I think Charles uh, chips away again at Max Verstappen's lead and ends up winning this Grand Prix. Probably takes pole as well. The we'll see what happens with Sergio. I think it's a little too early to say anything given he, he might have to replace a significant amount of his car. So we'll see what happens if he needs to take any penalties or anything like that. I think just one more note from this weekend, this was Charles first win from not pole position. So this is the first time he has ever won a Grand Prix not on pole. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to be sticking with the Ferraris or this weekend or at least Charles uh, to win the race. As far as where I'm going to go, I'm running out of names, to be completely honest. I'm leading the pool, but I've used a lot of big names so far. I'm going to be looking at free practice to see if there's any, like I've preached the entirety of the time that we've spoken about this, any opportunity to kind of maximize points. I'm going to take the opportunity to do that, but I really would love to throw away this race. I would really love to take my Nicholas Latifi, take my Lance Stroll, figure out something to do at the bottom of the pack and hope and pray for points. Um, I've had some good luck this season doing that, getting some points out of some guys who don't normally get points, but I seem to always get suckered into free practice and it's worked out so far, but it's eventually it's not going to work out. No, I agree. Um, I think I will go with a bold race prediction. I say this is a Lewis Hamilton win. I believe that the Mercedes might get their first taste of being back this upcoming weekend in France. and. I'll try to be bold there. I, I would also agree. I think this is a Ferrari over a Red Bull track, but I'm going to go on a limb and say this is the time the Mercedes pulled out. That being said, I do have Lewis Hamilton available. I will be paying very close attention to pre. I will be paying very close attention to free practice, but it's very hard on a lot of these to pass up a hometown driver in his home race and I do have a spin Akon coming off a fifth place finish here I'm going to really take a look to see that the Frenchman on the French team can really go out there and uh, show off for his home fans I would love 
to make the prediction again and be right about Esteban Akon, but it seems like after doing it last week and me not taking him, me taking him next week would only result in disaster. That's how that's how this works, right? 100%. Yeah, no, you can't go out there and, you know, actually think he's going to do it again. That'd be insane. If he, if he was that good, he would be in a Red Bull. I've been known to be persuaded by free practice, so we'll see. Yeah, hey, aren't we all? We're all uh, suckers for the the last piece of information you can get, and that's what you run with. So, all right, Mike, um, I don't know if you have anything else to uh, wrap up. What was the Austrian Grand Prix and uh, looking forward to the French Grand Prix? Uh, we, You know, another week on top for you in the pool. So what do you really have to say to end it out here? Uh, to close out the Austrian Grand Prix, I would say turning everything we know or knew about some of these cars on their heads, Ferrari notably having tire degradation issues in the beginning of the season, being able to stay on their tires in this race and the Red Bulls having tire degradation issues, the Red Bull team having the straight line speed and being able to really maybe have not so great a start, but over the course of a race, being able to be the team with more pace and ultimately coming out on top in the end. And that being completely different in this race with the Red Bulls getting out to a great start and the Ferraris being the ones with the pace to come up and catch them at the end, just a different outlook on what we've seen so far, but a great race weekend nonetheless. All right, Mike, that is a wrap for another great episode of the Finishing First podcast. It was a great weekend in the Austrian Grand Prix, and I am looking forward to the second half of the F1 season and seeing how this pool really does shake out. I can't believe it's been going on this long already, and we're only halfway through, so it's going to be a lot more content to follow uh, when this thing starts to get a little close and gets a little heated, so I can't wait uh, for the rest of the F1 season. Yeah, can't can't wait either. It's uh it's it's shaping up to be a really good one and like we referenced earlier, I hope we get a little bit of closure in the drivers championship, make it a little bit closer and make Abu Dhabi interesting. All right, for Michael O'Burn and myself at the F609, this is another great episode of the Finishing First podcast. Like I'm about to do to this end button on this Zoom call, push push. Push push F. Made my golf channel debut though. Did you? Apparently, Sean found me on TV. Nice. That's awesome.